Thank you for that really relaxing prayer. I'm feeling very relaxed, but also excited about this message uh, today. And I've also, I've also been traveling. I was up in Morocco for a week, and amazing to be on another side of the continent, but amazing to be back in church and with family. And I managed to listen to Andre's message last week on our website, the cgweinberg.co.za website. It was like, it's there already. And I was also terrified to see that all those messages go on to Spotify, so I now found out that the things I say here in this building just to you guys are now out on Spotify as well. So it's slightly terrifying. <laughs> but um, it's a great place if you ever want to catch up on a series. All of them are there. All the, all the messages are there already. And it's a big thank you once again to Claire and Merrick for that amazing uh, resource. So last week, Andre set up the series on stewardship. Uh, he showed us in that message just how closely our hearts and money are connected and that how inclined we are to chase after money and to invest it in the here and now, you know, to spend it here and to enjoy it. And he also reminded us, it was very challenging, that we can't be loyal to both God and money, like we have to make a choice. And so the goal of this whole uh, series is really to, to get us to adjust our relationship with money and, and wealth and for us to recognize money for what it is, and to ensure that it takes its rightful place in our lives. We can't, we can't do without it. We can't like, give it up, you know, walk, turn away. I'm not touching money anymore. It's, it's a necessary thing, um, but it needs to take its rightful place in our lives. And so what is stewardship? Just I thought it might be useful to put a definition straight up front. Uh, this one I found quite helpful. It's utilizing and managing all resources God provides for his glory and the betterment of creation. So a bit of an echo. Is it it's okay? You guys good? Okay, cool. Um, so good, it's, it's, it's essentially managing that everything God puts into a believer's life in a, ma- in a way that honors him and impacts eternity. And uh, this, this uh, key passage in the series, Laura referenced it earlier, is 1 Chronicles 29 verse 14. Everything comes from you, And we have given you only what comes from your hand. It begins, stewardship begins with an understanding of God's ownership of everything. Everything belongs to him. It's taught throughout scripture. I'm going to do a very quick sweep. God says, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's in Revelations 22 verse 13. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world, and all who live in it. Psalm 24 verse 1 tells us that. Deuteronomy 10 verse 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. You see, this is like programmed into the nation of Israel. The the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you are but aliens and tenants. That's in Leviticus 25 verse 23. And finally, in Job 41, verse 11, who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me, says God. So when it comes to everything that you have in your hand, everything that you've been given, everything that you've earned, everything you've inherited, you've found, anything you've begged, you've borrowed, you've stolen, everything, maybe not stolen, but when it comes to everything, we are just temporary 
caretakers. In our view, as the biblical worldview is that, in essence, God is the owner, and we're just tenants. We're just the temporary holders of everything. We're just the stewards of everything in our hand. And our culture doesn't actually glamorize being a tenant. It doesn't glamorize being a steward. We have to recognize that this world we live in really glamorizes ownership. You know, it's, it's ours. This belongs to me. You know, think about, you see a magnificent house, and then you meet someone who lives there, and they're like, hey, I'm renting. It's like, oh, sorry. When the person's like, oh, I'm the owner. It's like, oh, wow, he's the owner of this house. This guy's, you know, he's impressive. Um, it's the same, an owner of a hotel. You know, if you're the general manager, okay, but you're the owner of the hotel. And, um, yeah, I think stewardship looks totally different to that. Um, I was at uh, St. Andrews. I went to an amazing golf tournament a couple of months ago. And all over the course, you've got these people. They're called the stewards. It's, I mean, it's slightly different. But their job is just to guide and just to direct and just to point the way. You know, they don't own the crowd, but they, they, they're telling people where to go. You know, just, just moving people along. They're just like almost a conduit. You know, they're just guiding and pushing people here and there. They, they don't feel like they own the crowd, but they're there to just steward people and guide and direct. And today, the, the title of my message is the antidote. <clears throat> and an antidote is a remedy. It's like something that will counteract the effects of a poison, like something like the anti-venom for a snake bite. You know, if you get bitten by a snake anywhere on the peninsula, I think it's Constantia Berg over here, they've got like just about every anti-venom for every snake. If you get bitten by a snake, you need to get that remedy from Constantia Berg as quickly as possible to counteract the effects of that poison. And there are all sorts of poisons that can get into our hearts. You know, there's poisons like lust, poisons like envy, poisons like pride. And as Christ followers, we have to watch out for these things. Because if they get into our hearts, they can flow into the rest of our lives and they can cause destruction. King Solomon put it best in Proverbs 4 verse 23. He said, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. In the old days, they needed to guard a well because, you know, a well is your source of water. But if an animal or something were to fall in there, you know, and just rot in that well, it would cause big, big problems. You know, your life source, it would, it would contaminate your drinking water, your cooking, everything. And we have to guard our hearts. And the specific poison that I'm going to be addressing today is greed. So don't tune out of this one, because I think if we'd put like a sign on the building, come here about greed... You know, most people would be like, ah, I'll give this one a, a miss. I'll come back next week when they're talking about something, you know, more dangerous and that, uh, you know, maybe applies to me. And, uh, and actually, I did that. When I saw the topic of this thing, I thought, ah, at last, I can preach on something that, you know, I'm not, not bad at. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know I, can, like it's, I can preach on that, like, confidently. And the more I got into this and the more I looked at this passage today, the more it unearthed things in me and was like, well, actually, maybe I've got a way to go. Maybe there's a bit of that poison inside me. And uh, Dr. Tim Keller, who we quote every message here without fail. <laughs> we, we, you have to. No, we don't have to. But we like to. He says this, Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sex. Yet almost no one thinks that they're guilty of it. And so we're going to explore Paul's formula in 1 Timothy chapter 6, which really is the antidote 
um, that he gave to his audience then, and we're going to see how it can help us today. And I think for us to even consider this formula, whether we need the antidote or the remedy, we need to do a little bit of a self-reflection to start. So maybe you can just close your eyes, and I just want to ask you a couple of questions. And the first one is, how much of your time and energy is spent thinking about or pursuing money? And how much better do you feel when your bank account or your wallet starts to swell and is starting to look a little bit more healthy? How does it change your mood and how positive you are? How jealous are you when someone else receives a big, seemingly undeserved financial gift, but you are left out? Are you ever satisfied with your financial situation? And how much time do you spend thinking about acquiring more or the next thing that you need? And so on a scale of, you know, if one is like you're doing really well and 10, those questions nailed you, um, you know, why don't you just rate yourself in your mind, and if there are any zeros in here, you can open your eyes and you can raise your hand. <laughs> I don't think there would be many. So let's turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 to 10. It's not going to be up on the slides, so I'm going to have to read it slowly and carefully. And if you can get it up on your phone or uh, in your Bible, it would be really helpful. So 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 to 10. So reading from verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And then we're skipping verses 12 to 16 where Paul leaves a series of his final charges to Timothy you know, he encourages him to fight the good faith. And then he, he comes back to the subject of wealth in the church in verse, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So Paul opens up and he says, godliness with contentment, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Some might have think that sounds like, you know, great pain. It's like, yes, you've got God, but you must just be 
content. You know, don't desire for anything else. And contentment is a, is a state of being happy and, and like satisfied, you know, not craving for more, not craving for stuff, not thinking as like, this is the next thing I need. Godliness, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And the reason there's a but there before, we need to like go back and see why is, what, what came directly before that. And in the preceding verses, Paul actually warns against false teachings and, and those who have been robbed of the truth and this is the key part, people that think that godliness is a means to financial gain. He's specifically warning against people think that financial gain and financial prosperity is the thing that should accompany godliness. We see, we see this a lot, you know, that somehow, sometimes money is what, you know, all throughout life and a successful ministry is that money and how prosperous something is, that will validate how successful something is. And uh, we see this, it's quite prevalent if we look all around us. You know, that's why we often kind of warn against prosperity gospel. You know, this idea that, you know, God wants you rich. You know, the king's kids don't wear tattered clothes. You know, this is, as a, as a preacher, if you want to fill the room that kind of teaching is very, very appealing. But actually, Paul warns against that. He's saying that, look, it's not financial prosperity that is the thing that should be accompanying godliness. It's contentment, being satisfied with, what, with whatever you have. And, uh, I mean, that could even be more subtle than, you know, prosperity teaching. It could be just the subtle kind of idea that, like, you know, I attend church because it's kind of one of those building blocks, you know, it's this kind of works-based gospel or moralism that somehow if I, you know, if I do these things, if I just do the right things, then that God will bless me. You know, if I, if I do all the, the right things, then God, and if I'm not doing the right things, you know, and I'm not doing this, all these expectations, then I'm probably going to suffer financially. And again, Paul tells us that contentment, being happy and satisfied in whatever our financial circumstances is what should accompany our faith, not a seeking of financial prosperity. Something that's like also is prevalent, and I'd say even in my thinking, is that like I should make lots of money so that I could give it away. You know, that's why I'm a marketplace elder. You know, it's like God wants me to be very prosperous out there, to seek a lot of wealth, and then I can give it away. You know, I can first make a fortune and then I can use it to build God's kingdom. And actually, that's completely the wrong order when you look in Scripture. When you look at Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler who comes with his fortune and he wants to follow Jesus, Jesus is like, look, first get rid of all of that money. You know, that's the first thing you need to do is just, just get rid of that, you know. Not like come spend it here and I'll... This is what we'll do with it together. Let's make a budget and a plan. This is fantastic that you've done all of this. So we're going to move much quicker and much faster, you know, now that you're bringing this money because I didn't have any. No. He says, first, get rid of that, you know. That's a complete distraction. Come and then follow me. And we know in Matthew chapter 6, which we're going to look at a little bit later, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. It's nothing about, look, seek Seek wealth, make money, and then bring it to the kingdom. No, it's like seek first the kingdom, and then God adds to that. So the first point is that we need to be content. Not content once we've acquired enough, 
It's never enough. We'll never have enough. The first, in, in, this antidote comes in two parts, the more I look at this passage. The first essential ingredient is contentment. The first part of this formula, this antidote to greed, greed that so easily creeps into our hearts, is contentment. Moving on to verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world and we take nothing out of it. This is Paul's Jewish perspective coming through here. It's like a reference to Job 1 verse 21 where he says, naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. It's a very visceral, it's a very visceral image, but it's, we don't often think of that. Like, do we understand this, that we, we actually arrive with nothing? We arrive with nothing. Yes, we might get born into something, but like, we arrive with nothing and we leave with nothing. I put a little asterisk in my notes, which is like there's some inve- investments in eternity which are the ex- exception, you know, that we could benefit from later. But we, we arrive naked, we leave naked. And I mean, an example of this would be the Queen. Have you guys seen the incredible outpouring in the UK, a 24-hour queue just to go and honor her life of service? I won't get into the Queen. I know it could be problematic for us, you know, going into this idea of a monarch and all this but even the queen, you know, that amount of wealth and, um, you know, everything she acquired, um, you know, she leaves with nothing. She can't take anything with her. You know, actually, Luke 12 verse 48 says, to whom much is given, much will be required. So apparently she was quite a, a godly woman. But my point here is like there's nothing from this earth, not, none of those castles and treasures and the commonwealth, none of that goes with all of, there's no exception. Naked we come and naked we depart. Verse eight, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And this verse is very similar to Jesus' comments in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34. And I'm gonna let Jesus do the talking directly to us here. Reading from You can turn there as well if you can. That's Matthew 6 and verse 25, and I'm going to get some water while you turn there. I'm still trying to figure out how we have amplified sound when there's load shedding. Is it a miracle or has Alex done something there? So Matthew 6... From verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can we learn to be content with just food and clothing? Just have, trusting God to meet our basic needs and, and living in complete dependence on him like the birds and the, and the, and the grasses and the, and the plants? Are we happy enough asking, when we prayed, are we happy enough asking God, just give us today our daily bread when it comes to our own needs? This is very challenging for me, I have to say. I, I hope it's challenging you as well. And then in verse 9 in our passage, let's get back there to 1 Timothy 6 verse 9, Paul tells us to watch out for the money trap. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This is just another part where the Bible is talking about money, wealth, and riches, and it really has anything positive to say about them. It's always like a warning. It's always a, it's always a story of, you know, sadness and we, we tend to think of money as a blessing, if we're honest. Eh? Think about it. You know, if someone came to you and said, oh, some, you know, I was, uh, my parents really blessed me, or you know, someone in the church really blessed me, um, a lot of the time we think about that in, in a financial sense. You know, oh, you know, I'm really being blessed in the workplace. You know, we, we, we tend to equate money and you know, finances and wealth with blessing. And if we pay attention to this passage, it's actually saying that you know, money and, uh, and especially our desire for riches, you know, it's actually more of a curse, you know, to be running after all those things. They're a trap and they can cause all kinds of destruction. But often we, we chase after these things, you know, like, you know, there's no stopping us because it's, you know, you've got to make hay while the sun shines, so to speak. So we don't, we don't, we're not cautious. You know, Paul's saying money is a, is a trap. Your desire for wealth is a trap. But I, I don't think we cautious enough sometimes when we, you know, running after promotions, maybe when we are, you know, different opportunities, uh, we, we, we may be not cautious enough. We need to watch out that greed is not creeping into our hearts. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is one of the most misquoted scriptures you'll hear. People will say to you, after all, you know, money is the root of all evil. Actually says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's money itself is, is not evil. It's rather our strong desire and how our heart goes after it. That is where the evil creeps in. Money is neutral. It can be used for great good, can be used for great evil, and, and everything in between. But the pursuit of wealth as a priority in a person's life really does, you know, this desire to be rich especially opens the door for all sorts of temptations to enter into a Christ follower's life and to draw them, this verse tells us, to wander from the faith. 
to pierce yourselves with many griefs. Uh, John Piper says, I don't mean it's sinful to make a lot of money. I mean it's just sinful to want to keep a lot of money. Verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And I think Paul recognizes here that actually there's something in us. We, we, we actually are wired to pursue. You know, we've got this, there's this the creation mandate. God, you know, created the planet and he, he said, like, look, go and, f- go and fill this planet. Go and, you know, go and... Um, you know, name the animals, to go and fill it with, you know, yes, people, but also all sorts of culture and everything that's, you know, has, has grown and developed. There's something in us. We, we're hardwired to make things happen and to pursue and to chase after things. And so he's, Paul is saying to us, look, flee from that, but, you know, you, you actually need a new pursuit. And he says, to, he reminds Timothy to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And that maybe that's like, wow, that's quite a long list. How do you do that? I want to just simplify it. It's pursue Jesus. Jesus is the one who, pers- who embodies all of these things. And as we pursue him, we gain these things. He's the one who pursued us. And I'm going to come back to this point just now. So now we're going to jump to the second half of our 1 Timothy text. And... Um, you know, Paul, as I said, he has warned against the danger of wealth and riches and greed. And um, now in verse 17, he says, command, he's giving instructions to Timothy. You know, he's going to leave Timothy and Timothy's got to lead these people. And he says to him, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly deserves sorry, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. One of the temptations when we acquire wealth or we have some money is that we become arrogant and we start to put our trust and our our hope in our material wealth. And that's because this world continually tells us to do that. You know, this like... In the workplace, in the in media, in uh, the movies we watch, it's like kind of worldly wisdom is like, look, you need to, you know, you need to, that's where you'll find your security and your protection. You know, if you have like some great investments, you own your house, you've paid it off, you're earning, got an investment property, you know, the list goes on. But that's, once you're there, that's where you'll really have security and protection. And Paul's reminding us that for Christ followers, Things like security and protection are ultimately only found in God. All those other things, you know, they can be taken away. And I'm not saying they're, they're evil, but they're not our ultimate source of security and protection. And when we think they are, we start to become arrogant. We start to put our hope in them. And that's a, a very uncertain way to live. Wealth is not a firm foundation. Far from it. There's only one firm foundation worthy of building our lives on, and that is Christ alone, the cornerstone. But it's interesting, Paul still noticed, he recognizes that God gives to us materially, and that he actually even uses the word enjoy. You know, the material possessions and God's provision is given to us not just 
you know, to you know, keep us uh, you know, alive. No, it's given to us for our enjoyment. There's, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the things that God gives us in this life. We just need to recognize them for what they are. We need to hold them in the right place. Actually, we need to just hold on to them a, a bit more lightly than maybe we're holding on to them. Not hold on so tightly to the things that God gives us. Many of those things, as a steward, you, you, know, as a, you, you basically need to be passing them on. You need to be holding them lightly. That is the essence of stewardship. They don't belong to you. You're just a temporary tenant and someone that's holding them. Maybe you need to give them away. You know, maybe God wants to put something else in your hand. And uh, verse 18 says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. The instruction here that, that Paul is giving is not, there's not a command for the rich to become poor. You see that? There's, there's nothing there saying like, look, you need to become poor. The instruction here is, is for them to recognize that their wealth has come from God, and actually they need to be focusing on on, on being a different type, on a certain type of person, the first thing is they need to become rich in good deeds. So it's, it's beyond actually just giving the money away. It's actually they need to perform, they need to be generous with their time. They need to be generous in the way that they're looking at other people, you know, who they're inviting for dinner, who they're helping. It's, it's not just about money, you know. They do, however, need to be generous. And in week four of the series, we're going to be looking, I really wanted to go there with this preach, but I saw what was coming next. And in week four, we're looking at the radical type of generosity that God calls us to and actually enables us to live. And finally, we need to be willing to share. You know, that wealth that God's given the rich in the church, it's not just for them. You're a distribution point, as I was saying earlier. You're a steward of those things, not an owner. And so the purpose of wealth on this side of eternity is to do good with it. Verse 19, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It's amazing that somehow there's this you know, when you invest your money in the kingdom, when you, you steward well, when you pass it on, that somehow there's this heavenly bank account. You, you lay up riches for yourself in, this, in the coming age. You can't take these physical things with you. They all stay here, but there's something else. And I have to say, I've got, uh, I've got a family that's got all sorts of people, but some of the most generous people in my family are the people that have the least. They're the people that... Ha- are the most giving, and the people that I'm convinced of in heaven will have the most heavenly rewards. They're going to be in absolute mansions because they've, you know, they've taken this seriously, that this life is temporary. But it's incredible that you know, by doing this, we give up one type of riches to gain another. And it, this kind of echoes a passage that Andre spoke about last week, again, on the mount with Jesus. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So just to bring this all together as as we land and maybe just to summarize, Paul starts by warning us that it's dangerous 
to be pursuing money and that many harmful and um, you know, the, the foolish desires that come alongside that will ultimately plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then we finish here with him explaining that the ultimate purpose of money is not just the enjoyment that it brings, which is, which is real and fine, but it's rather to in generously invest it into eternal purposes. And by doing that, we actually break the enslaving grip that money has on our hearts. This is, this is part two of the antidote to greed in our lives is generosity. The first part was contentment, you know, being happy, being satisfied with whatever God has placed in our hands. And generosity is the second part. I hope you recognize this sweet medicine that we all need. It's this, this antidote of trusting in God's control of the future and holding lightly to whatever he places in our hands. We can't do this in our own strength. As always, Christ is our example and actually the one that makes it possible to even live like this. You know, Christ is the one who, being in the very nature God, did not, he didn't count that equality something that he needed to hold on to and grasp for, but he was willing to lay that aside. And to become a servant, to become a man like us, and to represent humankind. This God-man who was willing to endure death on the cross and to overcome sin and death for us. This is our model of generosity. He pursued us first. He loved us first. You'll find no greater love than this. You'll find no greater picture of generosity. The world will never see a more generous picture of generosity than that cross. And then when we realize that he has done it all, and that everything we have is a gift from God, it becomes possible for us to live in a much more radical way. I think as we look to Christ's example, as we receive his grace the true contentment and radical generosity actually become possible for us. We can't do it. It's not something you can muster up inside. You know, we'll run out of steam. We have to be empowered by God's grace and empowered by the Holy Spirit if we really want to live lives of true contentment with what we've got and to be able, you know, to be generous and to not hold on to things tightly and to just to, to be good stewards so that's, that's kind of my final point, or the whole point, is that the, you know, the antidote for greed and the, the poisonous effect of money, which, by the way, none of us is immune to. You know, you, no, no one is, what's the word? Yeah, immune. I was trying to think of a pandemic word, but I've forgotten them all because it's over. But um, <laughs> none of us are immune and... Um, by taking this antidote, we'll be able to live lives that are marked by contentment and generosity. And that, those are hallmarks of good stewards. It's a work of grace. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a long journey. And I'd love to just pray for us as we land. Maybe the band, if you guys can, can you lead us? With, I don't know if there's sound, but it would be great to sing uh, Worthy of It All. And I'd love to just pray for us. Why don't you... Rise to your feet and we can pray together.
Father God, we just thank you for your amazing word that is just so enduring. Lord, we see that Paul's letter to Timothy, it speaks directly to our hearts as well and just challenges us exactly where we are. Lord, I just pray for my friends, pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that money would take its rightful place in our lives. Lord, that we, Lord, you know our needs. You know what each one in this room needs. Lord, I pray that we would look to you to, and recognize you as our provider. And Lord, that we would be people that are content with whatever our situation is. Lord, whatever you put in our hands, we'd learn to be content. And Lord, I pray that whatever you put in our hands, we'd also learn to be increasingly generous with, Lord, and recognize that we are merely your stewards. And Lord, everything you've placed in our hands is so that we can glorify you and for the betterment of your creation for this city and what you want to see accomplished in this place. Lord, won't you help us? Lord, we look to you. Won't you, by your Holy Spirit, give each one of us the grace that we need to to live this life, Lord, and to take up the challenge that you've given to us today. Jesus, you are worthy of it all. There's no one else that can even compete, no one who's even in the race. You are the one who we long to glorify with our whole lives. And won't you just receive our worship now in Jesus' name. Amen.